All right. Good morning. You guys like that new song? Ooh, I think it's really, really good. Uh, we're going to be doing that. I'm really excited about the music we're going to be doing for Candlelight. Uh, puts the focus exactly where it needs to be, and that's on Jesus. And uh, speaking of Candlelight, just wanted to point your attention to those dates and times. Our normal service time, so if you come uh, to this normal service time for you that weekend, it will be a Candlelight service, and so 9 and 11 o'clock on December uh, the 20th, that's Sunday, and then Christmas Eve, 3 and 5 p.m., uh, but I also want to mention, we, we did this last year, and it's probably going to be a tradition we'll continue to do, and that is that the Sunday after Christmas, uh, we're going to not have church that Sunday. And uh, I called it, last year we called it a Sabbath Sunday, and basically just want to give an opportunity for everyone that serves around our church that, that they can just spend some time at home with their families. And I, especially in this time, because we've, we've had uh, our serve teams, a lot of the people uh, they've been serving a lot more than, than normal just because we've had a lot of our serve team not, not able to come and serve. And so, uh, so we just want to honor them. We want to bless them, just give them uh, a Sunday off. And we'll have online options for that weekend, but we will not have service here. Uh, that would be the 27th, I believe, maybe the 28th. But whatever that Sunday is after Christmas, we won't be having service. And so I just wanted to mention that. Uh, I will say that uh, we, we could use some help because we're going to be doing the candlelight services. We could use some help with serving people, greeting, that type of thing. And so if you know you're going to be around that week uh, and you'd be willing just to, to come and, and help just with the candlelight services, with greeting people and, and uh, helping us pull those services off, we'd, we'd appreciate uh, a few folks to come and help us with those services. And I would say that if you just come and help with candlelight services, you're not like signing in blood that you're gonna be on our serve teams from now till Jesus comes back, unless the Lord leads you. But, uh, but we would uh, appreciate some help just around those services. Before I get started, I just wanna pray one more time if you don't mind. Holy Spirit, we thank you for who you are and we thank you that you're the great counselor and helper. And uh, we love the, the lyrics of that song because we know that when our focus is on you, when our focus is on who we are in you, that is what brings freedom. That is what brings true change. And so we just confess our utter dependency and hope in you. And I pray that every person that's here this morning would be able to look into the fullness of who they are in you. Sometimes we can come into church and we're, we're wrestling with things. We're dealing with maybe sin or just guilt or shame, condemnation. And so our eyes can be a little dodgy when it comes to looking into the fullness of what you wanna to speak to us. But I ask Holy Spirit that you would remove every one of those false perceptions because those things are not from you. And I pray that every person here would have a confidence that you wanna speak. Lord, Sometimes your word encourages. Sometimes that encouragement comes through correction. Whatever it is that you need to do, do it. We just give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. This week in our Life of Christ, we're gonna be looking at Luke chapter 22. That'll be in the reading plan coming up this week. Uh, just a brief synopsis. Jesus and his disciples, they're getting ready to eat the Passover, but this is what we refer to as the Last Supper. 
Uh, so there's been quite the buildup coming to this supper, but they are all gathered around. Jesus is really excited to be hanging out with them. They have the meal, they have communion. And then right after that, Jesus says, by the way, one of you is gonna betray me tonight. So the disciples start arguing about who it is not going to be. And then right after they do that, they start arguing about who is the greatest among them. Like, it's just a crazy dynamic. Like you may have had some awkward moments over Thanksgiving with some of your family sitting around the table, but I would guess that it probably wasn't this awkward. Like, man, that was a good meal. By the way, one of you's gonna betray me uh, tonight. And, and, then, and then to have everyone go straight from there to saying, well, it's not gonna be me because I'm awesome. It won't be me, I'm awesome. Well, I'm awesome. No, my, I'm more awesome. It's just crazy how the disciples still just didn't get it. So let's look at verse 23, chapter 22. The disciples began to ask each other which one of them would ever do such a thing. Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. And the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. For I am among you as one who serves. So they started to argue about who's the greatest disciple. There's a lot of different areas that people might argue about the greatest. Sports is one of those areas that people like to argue about the greatest. Like who is the goat? And for those of you who do don't know that's the greatest of all time, not meh, not that kind of goat, the greatest of all time. Like, who is the goat? Like, who's the goat in the NBA? Greatest of all time. Okay, there's some dispute about this. How many of you would say it's LeBron James? Okay. How many of you would say that it's Michael Jordan? Okay, all right. That's because you understand what real basketball is. How many of you could care less? Okay, there's more of you that could care less. Uh, how about greatest NFL quarterback ever? Ever. Joe Montana? Any Joe Montana fans in the house? Okay, couple. John Elway, he's kind of a personal favorite of mine, I think. Peyton Manning's got to be right up there, right? How many of you think Tom Brady? Or as I would say, Deflate Brady. Uh, that's what I call him. That's his name that I gave him. Uh, how about golf? Greatest of all time, golf. How many of you would say Jack Nicholas? Jack Nicholas, pretty awesome. How about Tiger Woods? Tiger Woods, anybody in the house? Okay. John Daly, anybody? I'm joking. We'll just, we'll, we'll just move on. Bless him. So Jesus is talking about how one of them is going to betray him. And, and all of a sudden now the disciples are talking about who, uh, who's the, the most awesome one of them all. And, uh, and Jesus points to them towards the main reason that he came to earth. That's to serve. This is not the first time the disciples like to argue about who is going to be the greatest. It happened again in earlier in Luke chapter 9. It says, then the disciples began to argue about which one of them was the greatest. But Jesus knew their thoughts. So he brought a little child to his side. And then he said to them, anyone who becomes like a little child like this one, my behalf welcomes me. 
on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me also welcomes my Father who sent me. Whoever is the least among you is the greatest. And also in Luke 14, we read this this spot where the disciples were fighting over the best seats at the dinner table. And, and Jesus tells the parable of the place of honor. And Luke 14, 11 says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Look, we live in an age of self-promotion. Uh, we live in an age where everyone is trying to build their image. It's the social media age. I do wanna just mention right here if you haven't had the chance to watch The Social Dilemma, um, I would strongly encourage you to watch that show, uh, especially if you have kids, especially if your kids have social media um, accounts. Uh, it, is, it, it would be really good information for you to know, but that's just a side note. But everyone is trying to develop their personal brand, increase followers, on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. But it really is all about ego. It's about ourselves. I'm not saying that all social media is used for that, but I think that that is always gonna be the natural tendency of self-promotion or social media platforms will be self-promotion. It's, it's building yourself up. And we can't live like this. It's not about us. It involves us, but it's not about us. So some, some truths about self-promotion. First of all, self-promotion is really just the symptom. It's a symptom of vanity and narcissism. It's a symptom of insecurity and fear. What's the fear? It's the fear of not being cool or popular or successful. It's the fear of being a nobody. And at the end of the day, we want to have an image, even if it's not the real image, even if it's not who we really are. John the Baptist, his whole purpose in life was to prepare the way for Jesus. Uh, and, and I don't think he had like a super great social image. Uh, he, he was a little bit weird. He kind of lived out in the wilderness and ate weird stuff and just a little bit, little bit on the crazy side. But, but he, he started having a lot of people following him because the spirit of God was with him and because he was bold and because he spoke about the kingdom and he spoke about King Jesus. He spoke about how that was the true king and people like that because they didn't like the Romans. So a lot of people were gathering around John the Baptist, but then Jesus shows up on the scene and Jesus starts having this huge following as well. Well, then John the Baptist's disciples come to John the Baptist and say, hey, this guy Jesus is stealing all our people, taking all our people. You know what's sad is how many times I've heard that in church world. It's embarrassing. But that's where they're at. They're just like, I mean, we've got the message. Like we've, and now, now they're all going over there. And this is, this is what John the Baptist said about that. In John 30 or 3.30 says, he must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. 
I love John's confidence in his role to make Jesus the center of attention. And that is who we are meant to be. We are meant to be people that are constantly doing everything we can in our lives to make Jesus the center of attention because it's only when he's the center of attention that anything can change, that anything can heal. It's only then. Self-promotion is different than success. I mean, nobody wants to be a nobody. Like, I've never met anybody that's like, hey, I just kind of want to be a bum my whole life. I mean, we're, we, we, we are supposed to be successful. We're supposed to work hard and, and hustle and be excellent and make a living and build relationships. But how do you define success? 1 Corinthians 9.24 says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. But what's the prize? Who defines what the real prize is? Well, the real prize is the kingdom of God. The real prize is eternal, not temporary. But here's the thing. I want our church to have influence. I want our church to have a huge platform. I do. Why? Because a huge platform and huge influence means more souls. And I want more souls, but, but there's this, this place of tension. It's hard to manage it. For example, like our church around the state is doing some incredible things. But I, I, I don't wanna make it seem like I'm bragging about our church. We don't wanna brag on what we're doing, but we want people to know like we're doing something. But what can happen is hidden motives can begin to creep into our hearts. And our confidence can quickly transition into cockiness. When we wanna be recognized. When we want people to see that we're doing something great. And that's the kind of self-promotion, honestly, it's cringeworthy, especially for the body of Christ and church. Self-promotion leads to humiliation. I read this last week, there was this guy in Taiwan who um, bought a PlayStation 5 and convinced his wife that it was an air purifier that would remove corona from the air. So he got this thing, brought it into their house. And, and then he would only play it when she wasn't around. So for a couple of weeks, this guy's wife thought that this new shiny white thing sitting over next to their TV was an air purifier. And then she came in one time and he's playing on it and realized she wasn't told the truth. And so then she went and made him sell it for half of what he paid for it. That would have hurt. That would have been humiliating. Not always what you project yourself to be is actually what you are. And when it comes to self-promotion, I find most of the time it's not even 
a real projection. And eventually, by the grace of God, honestly, by the grace of God, humiliation almost always comes out of self-promotion. Because Jesus wants us to put him at the front because that's the only way we can really be successful. In the parable of the self-promotion, in, in, in the parable of the table and the place of honor, that's what he says. He's like, self-promotion, lead, it's gonna lead you to be humiliated because in the parable, what happened was somebody came in and, and in those times especially, there was like the head of the table. It wasn't necessarily the head of the table, but it was the place of honor. And everyone would know, like that's where the most important person that's gonna be at the meal, that's where they sit. And he said, it's embarrassing. If you come in and you assume that you're the person that's supposed to sit in that seat and then the master of the house comes and tells you, you gotta move because this person's gonna sit there. And all of a sudden you gotta get up and move around to the end of the table. It'd be like you <laughs> being at Thanksgiving, sitting at the adult table. But then all of a sudden an uncle shows up, nobody expected and you have to move to the kid's table because there wasn't room for you at the adult's table. It's humiliating. It says in Proverbs 11:2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. I think it'd be good to write this down. If you have some, you can put this down on. Service comes before status. Service comes before status. If you really wanna understand the heart of God, you wanna understand how the kingdom works, if you really wanna understand what it means to be truly promoted, it will always birth out a place of serving of going low. If you wanna get ahead, you're gonna to have to put others ahead. And true humility, though, is not some sort of passive, soft-spoken, unassertive person. Please understand that. Like, it's not somebody that walks around and it's like, oh, I'm just, you can go first. And I'm just, I'm really not that great. You're awesome. I'm not the best. You're best. It's not, that's not humility. I mean, I, I guess it could be, but that's not the image. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking about yourself way less. That's what humility is. Self-promotion does not work with God's plan. So how do you become great? How do you become great? First of all, you gotta let others be first. Let others be first. Romans 12, 10, honor one another above yourselves. Now, to be honest, this goes against every natural tendency that I have because I always wanna be first. I cannot handle losing. I don't like losing. I don't wanna lose. Now, if someone beats me fair and square, I can get over it, but I'm not gonna let anybody win. This can become a difficult dynamic with my kids because I'm a competitive person. So like my kids, they'll ask me to come outside and play knockout with them, play basketball, play knockout. How many of you guys played knockout when you were in school? Okay, four of you. Well, you won't understand what I'm talking about, but for you four, you're gonna enjoy this. This is gonna be good. Uh, so they asked me to come outside and play knockout. But here's the thing, like I go out there, they've already lowered the goal, which I think is like, guys, come on. The goal isn't at eight feet if you're gonna play real basketball. But, but I'll let them, you know, they lower the goals. So they're like, we just want it to be low. I'm like, fine, that's fine. And, uh, but then they're like, take it easy on us. I'm like, hmm, I don't, 
mm, I don't think, I don't think that's the best thing for you. Right? So I'll start playing, and I mean, basically undefeated, you know, because first of all, it's at eight feet, which means I can slam dunk it, which means I don't really have to, like, if I miss, it's just, it's done. But, but my son Reeves, man, he's pretty competitive too, but he wants so bad to win a knockout so badly, but he only ever gets to play against his family. And so like, if he's playing a bit against his other siblings, he has a chance of winning, but he wants to play with me, but he wants to beat me. Desperately wants to beat me. So the other day, you know, I missed a shot and then and he shot it and his bounced off and I was I was getting ready to put it back in or put it back up. I was behind him and so I was getting ready to get him out and and uh, and I let him let him shoot it and then he got behind me and I, I he was getting ready to put it in. I swatted that thing right out of there and I just <laughs> packed it down in his face and then slam dunked it. Got him out, because that's how I roll. But I do find that most of the issues around our house have to do with us not thinking about other people more than ourselves. So I can't tell you how many times when we sit down to eat dinner together at night, which I would strongly encourage you to have some sort of rhythm where even if you can't do it every night, you have a couple nights a week where you actually sit down at a table with your family and eat a meal and talk. But there's a lot of times when we go to sit down for that meal and there's not a lot of peace happening. And there's already arguments and discussions, spirited discussions happening and so when I go to pray, I almost always pray, and Lord, help us to put others before ourselves. Because we lose focus of that. And here's the thing. If you really wanna get more for yourself, okay? Like, if that's really important to you, I promise it won't happen and bring any amount of fulfillment until you start putting others before yourself. It won't happen. It won't happen. You will chase it, you'll pursue it. You may get a little, but it's gonna leave you empty. The only way you're gonna find something that's gonna fulfill you, you gotta put others first. And you know what brings you more fulfillment than anything? Putting others before you that you don't like. That changes the whole thing. You wanna feel this balm of God's grace blessing over your life? Put other people first that absolutely don't deserve it. And watch what God does. Put others first. Because it's really easy to shift from God did something through me to God did something because of me. But when you're putting others first, you have that heart of service, it'll keep you in a place of seeing that it's always just God doing something through you. Martin Luther King Jr. said this way, everybody can become great because anybody can serve. Number two, let your motives be examined. This is huge, really, you could start with this one. 
What's motivating you? In Matthew 6, 5, it says this. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues who, where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward that they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. Now, we probably don't see people like going out on the streets presenting themselves as these godly, prayerful people. But in the social media age, I think we gotta be really, really careful that we're not trying to present ourselves as these holy, godly, better than really everyone else out there type people because if we do, that's fine. There's your reward. Those seven likes from those seven people who are just like you. But it's not really gonna bring any fulfillment or edification. So in this parable of the place of honor, people are all trying to get the right, the best seats, the best seats. And we all have a tendency to do that, right? We all have a tendency to do that. Everybody has your favorite seat. In your house, I bet you, you have your favorite seat. Like whatever the setup of, of your, your living room, like how many of you have dad's chair? It's dad's chair. Don't sit in dad's chair. It's a sacred place, okay? You'll die if you sit in. Like dad, my dad always had the easy boy recliner, right? That was the, the, the epitome of the dad chair when I was growing up. But now we have these big sectional couches and there's always the one spot that's in the corner. That's the best spot on the couch, right? And so everybody has this place of preference where they want the best seat. You, you, you know, if you, if you go to a game, if you go to a game, you wanna be on the front row. You go to a concert, you wanna be on the front row. There's a couple places people don't wanna be on the front row. Movie theaters, that's no fun. Ever had to do that? You need a chiropractor if you sit on the front row in a movie theater. And apparently... church. <laughs> like the preferred chairs are not in the front. But even at church, how many of you know you have your seat? Now, COVID messed all that up, and I love that part of it, because we have ushers. They're going to tell you where you sit, and you're going to be socially distanced and all that kind of stuff. But, but usually speaking, when you come to church, we're creatures of habit. We're like, I got to get to my place. Got to get to my seat. Like, as far as you're concerned, there should be a little plaque on that chair that has your name on it. Because we all have these places. And you know what? It's okay. Because the reality is this. The parable is not about the seats. It's about our hearts and our motives. Because you can actually take the best seat and have an innocent heart. But you can actually also give the best seat away with the wrong heart, it's called false humility. And that can happen too. Oswald Chambers said it this way, conscious humility is the most satanic form of pride. Like when you are conscious, man, I am just, I'm always humble, but today I am just 
on, a, on another level of humble. I just, God, the world's so lucky to have me. You got to check your motives. Matthew 23, 5 says this, everything they do is for show. Their arm, on their arms, they wear these extra wide prayer boxes. Okay, so that was a symbol of like the people who would teach the word, the people that knew the word, they would actually have a box of the Pentateuch, of the, the scripture where they would have it on a small scroll and they'd keep these boxes. They put them on their arms or they put them on their foreheads, this big old box. And it was like, the bigger the box, the more godly you were, the more you knew. Everything about their garb had to, was a symbol or an indication of, of how good of a Jew they were. And they would wear these robes with extra long tassels. And they loved to sit at the head of the table at the banquets in the seat of honor in the synagogues. Honestly, the key, and I don't always get this right, but to me, the key to being an honorable leader is you really gotta be aware of your motives. You gotta be aware of what's driving you. And I think a very basic, but one of the most important questions you can ask, am I doing this for the glory of God or am I doing it for the glory of me? In everything that you do. Also, let God promote you. Let God promote you. Proverbs 27, two says, let someone else praise you, not your own mouth, a stranger, not your own lips. The truth is you cannot truly promote yourself because real promotion only comes from the Lord. Now, some of you, you're waiting to be promoted and you feel overlooked, you feel unseen. Maybe it's in your career or in your relational life or your leadership. And maybe you wouldn't say, I wanna be promoted, but you just want people to see the best in you. You want people to see the value that's in you. That you, want, you want people to see what you can bring to the table. See your gifts. Maybe you're single and all your friends are getting married or, or some of you, maybe you even feel a call to the ministry, but no one's recognizing you. I just want to encourage you. Promotion comes from the Lord. And his time for promotion is perfect. God sees your heart. He sees your motives. And if you keep those things pure in due time, God will open doors for you. You just got to keep your heart right. And serve people. He'll unfold his will for you. I promise can look around this world, this room right now and call people onto the stage that would give you testimonies of these seasons where they felt like they were being overlooked or God wasn't hearing the prayers in regards to a job or a career or whatever it is. But in his time, man, he showed up. It says in James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but he gives favor to the humble. Why does God promote humility? Because he can trust humble people. Why can he trust them? Because he can trust that they're not gonna try to bring glory to themselves, but they're gonna try to bring glory to him. And the, and the, the bottom line is this, it's only when God is getting the glory that all of us get the benefit. 
the, the ultimate benefit you will ever have in your life is when God is getting all the glory. It's the best place to live. He doesn't mind us having a platform. He doesn't mind us being influential. He doesn't mind us being honored. We're the light of the world. We're Christians. We're Christ ambassadors. God does exalt people. But here's the thing. You can start high and end low. But you can start low. And God will lift you up. Philippians 2.5 says this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who being in very nature God, which none of you are, none of us are, being in very nature God did not consider, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. God, Jesus never did anything. Not a miracle, nothing outside of the will of his father, of his father saying, do it. And it wasn't because he couldn't. That's how much Jesus took on this humble position. He set the example for us. I may have the ability, I may have the authority, I may have the right, but I'm not gonna do it unless God tells me to do it. And I'm sure not gonna do it if he doesn't get the glory. I'm not gonna do it. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave to him the name that is above every name. Man, we, what our culture and what our country needs, we need to turn our eyes to Jesus. And I think it's our role, it's our responsibility, and it's our greatest pleasure. And it's the, the most fulfilling blessing that we can ever receive, that we find ourselves in a place where our role, through any platform, through any relationship, through any amount of influence that we have, we point people to him. We point people to him. He's the only place, he's the only person that can heal how jacked up our world is. And it is pretty messed up. I wanna pray for you this morning. One of the reasons why people get into a place of self-promotion is what I, I kind of, I made mention of it earlier. It's because, the truth is, it's because you haven't been able to look into the fullness of his grace. You're insecure, you're fearful. You're all those things when you don't have any confidence that when Jesus looks at you, he looks at you with full approval and acceptance and love. What causes the sin in any one of our lives is just simply not being confident in our identity 
in Christ. When you're confident in who you are in Christ, the truth is you don't have to spend all your time trying not to sin. You just won't sin because your focus is on his grace and his love and his mercy. You're too busy loving people and giving them that same grace and mercy. You don't have time to self-promote. You don't have time to think about that mistake and that sin of your past and the things the enemy keeps trying to throw in your face and make you feel guilty and shameful and condemnation about. You don't, you don't have time to look at all those things. You don't have time to focus on all the things about your physical body that you do or don't like or whether or not you have the same social prowess as someone else and if your family looks the same way their family looks or if all your Instagram pictures look the best that all theirs do or, or your kids are, are just as great and, and awesome as all their kids and man, you're just the best parent and you feel like a total loser. When you look into the fullness of his grace, when you look into the fullness of his love, that's all you will ever wanna look at ever again. And it's when your eyes are focused there and he's pouring onto you that you overflow. And that is what the world needs. You need, the world just needs us to be the conduit that God created us to be, to flow into them. But it starts by looking at him Sometimes when your kids get in trouble, pets do this, especially dogs. Like when a dog knows they've done something they're not supposed to do, you call them, what do they do? Ours pees, especially if it's me. I've never been mean to that dog. I don't know why she's so scared of me. Sometimes our kids, like, you're going and you're going to talk to them. You're going and they can't, can't, can't make eye contact. God wants you to look into the fullness of his grace. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. may be struggling with this, this self-promotion based in fear, based in insecurity, based in arrogance, pride. I don't know. We're gonna sing another song here in a little bit and I just encourage you during that time just to be honest, repent, ask for forgiveness. But I, I think that there's, there might be a couple of people in here and, and you're here and you're in church because you know it's a good thing to do. You feel like it's the right thing to do. But this is so much more than just doing a good thing or a right thing. The presence of God is here to meet with you because you are his son or daughter and he loves you and he wants relationship with you. 
And he wants you to know that it doesn't matter what good or bad thing you've ever done. He's never going to love you any more or any less. He is love. And he desperately wants a relationship with you. And all you have to do is just simply surrender to his love, his grace, his forgiveness. It is a choice. He won't force his love. He won't force his forgiveness. He won't force his plan and purpose on any person. But he desperately wants you to have wholeness and fulfillment and joy, peace. It starts with a surrender to him. And if you're here and you realize I'm not surrendered to him, I don't have a relationship with him, I'm away from him. It may be that you've been coming to church for a long time, but when if you're really honest right now, man, you've never had a genuine relationship with the Lord. You're away from Him. This morning, with all of His heart, with the full demonstration of what He did on the cross, He's just asking you to look into the fullness of His grace. If you're wanting to do that and you're willing to do that and willing to admit that it's you that needs that, I don't want to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to do anything strange, but I do want you to be able to be bold. I want you to be able to experience what he has for you this morning. So if that's you, nobody's looking around, but you know you need to respond to having a relationship with Jesus. Would you please put your hand up? As soon as I see you, put your hand down, but if you know you need a relationship with him, you're away from him. You can put your hand up. Okay. Father God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for your grace and love and mercy. Lord, uh, we know that it's such a trap of the enemy. Sometimes it's like a drug. It's like something that we get addicted to where we feel like we've just got to we got to try to keep up. We got to keep pushing. We got to keep trying to let people know that we're there and that we're that we're good, that we're great, that we're whatever it is. But God, I pray that there would be a genuine sense of surrender to just trusting you and being who we are in you. Thank you for that, Lord. God, I pray that you help us to take the steps that we need to take practically to remove those areas of temptation where, where we're constantly trying to promote ourselves. We're trying to build ourselves up. Expose the insecurity, expose the fear, expose those things, God, so we can be the sons and daughters you've created us to be. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen.